Hello everybody, my name is Reese Sunmark and welcome to another edition of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future, where we focus on the intersection of effective altruism, universal basic income, the attention economy, and blockchain. And today we're going to focus on the attention economy and kind of two aspects of it. First, the kind of consumption side, and then second, the kind of creation side, the where do you spend your time side. And on the consumption side, we're going to focus a lot on this kind of fire hose of information within the blockchain space. Uh, how should we deal with this fire hose of information? What does the signal to noise look like there? And also, how can we kind of scaffold other people into this space uh, more easily? So that's one side of things. And on the other side of things, we're going to talk about the kind of value creation side. And another thing that we've seen in this space is, you know, how can we not, you know, how can we not duplicate work? How can we minimize waste um, and be more interoperable and be uh, and be more cooperative and collaborative? So those are going to be the two things we're focusing on. And kind of before we dive in, I want to talk from a culture perspective around kind of the, the culture and the context that we're in here that kind of informs a lot of my thinking around this kind of consumption and creation piece. So the culture that we're in is this, uh, it's, it's, it's a blockchain-y culture, and, and it's a pretty strong one. Um, so, so many people in this space kind of start with why, and, and they start with why both from the kind of, you know, cypherpunk, decentralized the world, um, you know, distrust in centralized institutions perspective, but there's also some of this kind of, you know, by nature, that decentralization also has a kind of do good and kind of a um, a lessening inequality piece. And you can see this with uh, Balaji's recent article on decentralizing, quantifying decentralization. And to quantify it, he used the Gini coefficient, which is the same coefficient to um, look at inequality. So this is to say that this new kind of uh, culture that we're in is one that is very decentralizing and very kind of anti-status quo, but it's also one that's surprisingly uh, pro people and surprisingly kind of um, do-gooder. And, you know, as a result of that do-gooder gooder piece, you have, you know, this, this, this piece on inequality. And right now, you know, eight of the, the top eight people in the world have more wealth than the bottom 50 combined. And that's kind of intense. And, uh, you know, because of that, you can start to think about these metrics that we're kind of optimizing for in this space. And when we're optimizing for these metrics, one metric that we used to have, but that doesn't really matter as much anymore, is the kind of dollars for self piece. Um, and this is because if you're trying to get lots and lots of dollars for yourself, well, that's kind of uh, centralized by nature, and that's kind of anti-decentralization. And so that doesn't really make sense. It also doesn't really make too much sense in this world where capital, we're transitioning out of a world where capital is scarce. Uh, and for me, the great example of this is, you know, for me, I can make a good amount of money coding or coaching or doing whatever, and uh, but after $45,000, that money has diminishing or no returns on my happiness. And so if I'm optimizing for happiness, which I generally am, um, why would I, why I, you know, after 45,000 bucks, I can essentially um, stop taking that money and distribute it back to the system. So that's kind of a good example of this world where capital was scarce, but it's less scarce, where I don't need to take in all the capital and money that I am kind of, uh, uh, that I'm providing to the world through value. So this is to say that these metrics that we're working with aren't necessarily just dollars for self, but they can be things that are more like outcomes for society. So this can be, you know, how many, what was the, did we increase people's quality of life or did we save some lives? Did we um, increase the amount of people that have access to a financial system? Things like that are some of the metrics that I've seen people use in the space that might not be as classically used in uh, systems where capital is not scarce, where centralization and uh, kind of money for self was still such a big thing. So given that and given those metrics, what those metrics essentially say is, well, 
we're going to have to, if we're optimizing for um, this metric, which is, you know, a kind of shared outcome metric, then we don't necessarily, we can think more about that shared outcome and less about just the dollars for self. Um, and so that kind of encourages some of these, like the collaboration and the interoperability. And some of those things are even needed in the space. And you see so much, so many people kind of collaborating across multiple different industries, multiple different companies in the blockchain space because it's both um, part of our mindset and because it's kind of needed. So, you know, when I think about this kind of shared outcome thing, I'm reminded a lot of uh, Zuko and what he said in his piece on why he's advising Tezos. Um, so he said, essentially, as a quote, the network is bigger than any particular cryptocurrency. The network is all cryptocurrencies. In fact, the network is much bigger than that. The network is of all scientific and economic activity of all of this planet's people. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that that's true that, you know, when people say, hey, Zuka, why are you um, advising Tezos? They're kind of a pseudo competitor. He's like, look, the goal is just this big network and we're all kind of complementary with each other. And we're all just trying to, you know, make a better world. So if I advise them and they do a great job, that's awesome because I'm part of this big network of people as well. So that kind of mindset is really in the space. And, you know, I think a thing that we can't lose sight of though is that we have this mindset piece, which is, oh man, do good, decentralize the world, whatever. But we also have this, the, the technology piece and the kind of self-reinforcing loop. There's a self-reinforcing loop between the two um, where you have technology, uh, the blockchain technology, which enables us to think in these new ways that kind of enables us to change our mindset and our mindset changes, giving us new, you know, us creating new technology that's in this kind of self-reinforcing loop where we're kind of pushing for more and more decentralization around shared outcomes rather than uh, kind of an old system. And, and we're doing that uh, both from a mindset perspective, but also from a technology perspective. Um, and another way I think about this is kind of like we as a kind of a human organism or as a human group need to kind of turn ourselves into a system that can be optimized and can be easily leveraged with blockchain. So, you know, as we start to think in these ways, it will kind of, you know, the blockchain technology essentially turns that system, creates us, makes us create a system on ourselves that blockchain can actually use. So uh, given that, I, I think about this technology and society thing and uh, the, the quote that Naval often uses for this, uh, and he's quoting Snow Crash, he says, you know, this Snow Crash thing, is it a virus, a drug, or a religion? And and it's all three. You know, it's it's a virus in that it's a it's a piece of technology, and it's a drug slash religion in that it's a mindset. And these two things all kind of they they have a, a loop with each other that kind of pushes us forward. So that's kind of the context that we're in, is this new decentralize the world for good mindset. And given that, let's talk about the kind of consumption side and then the creation side. So on the consumption side. And, and I think the consumption creation dichotomy is actually a wrong one. And we're going to be talking a lot about this kind of middle ground of curation and collaboration and coordination and all these kind of co-words. The, you know, the Latin root for co is together. And, and we're going to see a lot of this kind of co-evolution happening here. Um, and, and a lot of people doing a lot of this co-space rather than the just purely the self-facing space. Okay, so let's talk about the consumption side of things here. And when I think about the consumption side, I always like to start with what is the optimal outcome that we want here? And when I think about the optimal outcome, I think about something similar to the matrix where you kind of plug the internet into your brain and you essentially experience a, a scaffolded flow state of the perfect learning that you want at any given point in time. And you're just like, ooh, delicious learning, delicious learning, delicious learning, so fast. That's the goal. Um, and when you think about that goal, the metric of that is something like 
valuable information over time. And that's very related to all of the work in um, information theory and, you know, ways to essentially optimize for given information per, uh, per given time. So that's kind of the optimal world that I think about. And before kind of diving into the blockchain side of things, in thinking about this optimal world, I've kind of done a lot of this um, curation and a lot of this consumption stuff on the music side where, you know, I was essentially trying to optimize for the best music and the most new music that I could. And the way that I did that, one of the big ways was by thinking about this 2D map called uh, Every Noise at Once created by Glenn McDonald at Echo Nest, which is the data arm essentially of Spotify. And this Every Noise at Once map is an algorithmically generated map by uh, Spotify that has 1500 different genres on it on a 2D plane and with that 2D plane you can essentially use that as a starting point to kind of dive into music so you can say wow you know for someone like me I was able to take that 2D plane and use it as the starting point for this kind of scientific playlist folder system that I use with inputs and outputs in order to optimize for the most new music um, at a given point in time. I think about it also like deal flow, where you say, hey, I want to have the best, um, if I'm a venture capitalist, I want to have the best deal flow for any given period of time. I want to have really high quality deal flow. That's essentially what we're looking for in this space. You know, when you're a venture capitalist, there's so many different startups that are out there. When you're a music consumer, you know, you got 5,000 albums uploaded to Spotify a week. You have 12 minutes of music uploaded to YouTube and SoundCloud a minute. You know, there's so, so, so much noise. Um, you know, what is the signal? And, and that's the question that we're kind of trying to answer in this uh, consumption of blockchain space. So when we think about that, I think we have to think from a couple different layers. We have to think at the information layer, and then we also have to think about the UX layer. And we have to think about both those layers kind of through time, aka the scaffold. So when we think about the information layer, I think about it kind of as, I think about the information layer as first the, you know, when we think about how to divide among, divide information, I think that we need to essentially say what is the to, to start with a, a macro perspective around how are you viewing that information there's so many different frameworks with which one can view life um, and the question is which framework are you viewing life through right now um, and so I'm imagining something where you can say hey I'm speaking from a why perspective right now and from that why perspective I'm looking to decentralize the world and things that would that would exist and then in that bucket would be stuff like Ethereum and EOS and Tezos and these new smart contract platforms that are trying to do that. So that is kind of a, if you're using the why, how, what framework, that's the macro framework that you're operating in, the bucket that you're operating within that framework is the why bucket and then within that why bucket you're specifically talking about a given um, decentralizing the world thing and the things that would exist there would be a bunch of things that are trying to do that. So I like to think about you know this this kind of perspective through which you're viewing reality. Um, another version of this which is also could be done is something like um, a lean canvas for blockchain where you imagine okay we're specifically right now we're thinking about the customer segment for you know curation markets. Okay well that customer segment could be a bunch of people who exist in the r slash meme economy um, thread because they're already buying and selling memes for karma. Let's have them do that and accept with tokens. So that's another way that you could say, hey, here's the system through which we're viewing the world, which is a lean canvas. And given that system, we're going to talk about the early adopter customer segment box. Um, yeah, so I think that this kind of information bucketing is going to be kind of key for us going forward where we're going to say, what is the what is the framework through which you're viewing the world? 
put that at the beginning, what is the bucket that you're talking about, put that next, and then what is the actual thing that you're talking about, put that third. So I want to kind of use this system as a way to change the language that we use around the information that is presented. And I think that this could have some pretty big impacts, and like for me, a easy good example of this is something like universal basic income, where the idea itself is relatively a little bit crazy, but it, you know what's not crazy is that automation and AI-induced uh, automation is going to have a big impact on our lives in the next 20 years. And whether you want to solve it through something like universal basic income or through education or through platform cooperatives, I don't really care. Um, uh, and, and I think that there should be a way to say that UBI is an automation solve. And so that's just a way to say, to bucket the information and to, to combine things like UBI and um, to combine UBI and platform co-ops and uh, something like education as solutions, you know, in the Lean Canvas sense, to a macro problem, which is uh, AI and automation, the creative destruction externalities. So that's on one side is the information, and I think that we need to essentially layer our information in a better way such that we can know the lenses that we're viewing the information um, through. The second piece here is the actual uh, UI and UX that exists on top of that information layer. So after you have an information layer that has, you know, hashtag Y, hashtag decentralize the world, um, you know, hashtag EOS or whatever, after you have that, um, the question is how do you produce that information to the user? And this is something that in the blockchain space I think we have a big issue with, which is you have a lot of people talking about, ah, the UX within the blockchain space is so hard. And I also know a lot of friends that want to get into blockchain but are UI UX designers, and they don't have kind of a GitHub uh, there's no GitHub for designers, you know, and so they don't have that same kind of platform and existing ecosystem that they can just as easily jump into blockchain with. So because of that, I'm thinking a lot about kind of, you know, what are the ways that we can leverage the crowd to create UI and UX experiences on top of the information layer? And I think there's a lot of different versions of this, and design is very, very complicated, and I know very little about it, but some things that come to the top of my mind are, one, you know, using kind of 2D visuals as our first, 2D visuals and graphs as some of the early adopters. So this is people like, you know, Max Roser in the world of data. There's people like Nikki Case. Um, there's people like, you know, the a lot of the people who are creating uh, Matt Daniels and like the putting that cool. I think there are a lot of people that are working in good space here where they're creating new kinds of visualizations. And I think that kind of open sourcing or crowdsourcing those visuals could be a good thing. Another one that's an easy example here for the UI UX layer is something like the Lean Canvas, which already has uh, kind of a 2D representation of its space, and, and it's essentially a framework through which to view the world, and you can imagine that as being the framework that people consume the information through. Um, the other things I think about here are stuff like, you know, is there a, a lot of people in the blockchain space, like Linda Xie or um, the, you know, Nick from the control, I think that you can, they, they make a bunch of these uh, tables that are like essentially difference tables. And I think that you can imagine new versions of difference tables that would be kind of ripe for uh, new kinds of UI consumption here. Um, so given that, I want to essentially, you know, you have these all these different kinds of UI and UX consumption, and it would be what we want to do is incentivize the creation of both the UI UX layer and the information layer. And so kind of from the UI UX layer, or let's start from the, the, the information layer actually. So when I think about the information layer, part of the issue is that as people are going through the world, 
people are optimized to um, create to, to use early adopter customers as people that have higher importance and higher money and higher time for a given job to be done. What I mean by that is like, hey, you can either go with this person who's new to blockchain, who's just not going to pay you very much money probably, and maybe is not even that interested in it, or you might go to this person who's way deep in on it and they know so much about it and they're willing to pay money because they're already deep in the space. So given that kind of issue there, that kind of uh, natural state of things, I think that we need to essentially incentivize a way to create this scaffold. And the way that we can incentivize that is by saying, hey, I'm going to create something for people who are more beginners, and as those beginners go deeper into the space, when when they consume my UI, or when they consume my information or my UI UX, then I will get, uh, I don't get anything at the time because they can't pay for it, they don't want to pay for it, but over time, I essentially get a future on their future value creation. So I, as a person, get a bunch of uh, start learning, 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 delicious learning. I'm not paying anybody money for that, but then over time, once I start to actually make money and get to the value creation stage rather than just the consumption stage, I essentially give money back to the people who created the systems that were good for me. So I think that's, that's one way to do things is to directly incentivize it through essentially self coins and futures on a given self. Um, I also think that another way to incentivize um, the information layer or the UI UX layer is through essentially forcing it through these little micro uh, micro interactions. So in the blockchain space, we talk a lot about microtransactions, but I also think we should think more about micro interactions. And the best example of this is reCAPTCHA, which is a system that's used whenever you say you're not a robot. And when you say it, you are, you're either picking out cars from a LiDAR kind of self-driving car screen, or you are typing in words that a Google Translate couldn't, um, couldn't the machine couldn't translate. So you're essentially um, giving reinforcement learning for the machine learning algorithm that says, hey, I wasn't able to determine what this was. What is this human? And you're essentially uh, both proving that you're a human because you know that a robot couldn't do it and you're helping um, you're helping digitize all the books and you're also helping the machine learning algorithms. So that is a thing that, that is currently used in kind of the, uh, the machine learning space. But I also think it can be used within this kind of scaffolding space. And I think about it as a, you know, as someone is going through society uh, consuming information from the internet, it would be nice if they left a a trail behind them around what is the most important stuff to kind of, you know, to kind of read. And, and I think about it, there's a concept called stimmergy, and you can think about kind of like a bunch of ants that are all kind of moving throughout the world. And as they move throughout the world, they're leaving behind trails that tell future ants where to go. So that's kind of how I think we should think about this, which is as you're learning, you're also leaving a scaffolding behind yourself for others to follow in your learning path. And I think a good example of this, which just happened recently, is myself on Twitter. I was doing some research for some of this reverse ICO stuff, and um, on one of those articles, Trent kind of started the scaffold by saying, hey, Trent from Big Chain TV, he said, hey, this is this article is very similar to these five other articles. Um, and then I, but he didn't actually put the links there, then I put all the links there, um, and then after putting all the links there, the original writer of the article then added those links back to the article, um, which were not there initially. So that's essentially a way that the three of us combined to say, hey, we're part of this general ecosystem. This is, you know, this most recent article is part of this series of articles, and let's add those series of articles to the original post. And it happened in this way that, you know, I personally couldn't, didn't know about all the articles that Trent referenced, 
um, and I personally couldn't um, edit the Medium article, but as a result of the three of us working together, we kind of left a scaffold for future people who are interested in the reverse ICO uh, concept. Cool. So that's on the consumption side. Uh, we want to create a information. We have to think about the information layer, also the UI UX layer, and then ways to incentivize people behind us to essentially consume information, ways to incentivize people so that as they're moving through the information um, the information stream, um, the, the fire hose of information that they're leaving behind uh, a path so that people can more easily consume that information. So that's on one side of things. Um, and, on, and let me say one other thing on that actually before I transition, which is, and we can see kind of the, the sadness in this space right now with something like, it's not like we have a Khan Academy or a Lenda or, or something like that. Those are kind of the classic ways that people, if they want to get scaffolded into a space, they will consume visual audiovisual content from the internet in order to, that's in a direct order in order to do that. And right now, the internet from a blockchain perspective is still non-scaffolded, essentially. There's no Linda, there's no Khan Academy for it, and I think that we can create a Linda or Khan Academy for it, but I think that we can create it through Stimergy as a decentralized mesh. Okay, so now talking about the creation side of things, um, what I want to talk about on the creation side of things essentially is, you know, this new concept that, you know, should we really just be thinking about creation or does more of the value chain go up into this coordinating, curating, collaborating space here? Um, and, and the reason why I think about this is, you know, mainly from like a minimizing waste perspective. I mean, you see all these different, my favorite example of this is all the different ICO trackers and all the different ICO aggregators. And there's so many different ones, and there's not much collaboration happening or interoperability happening between all of them. Um, and so, you know, the, the, for me, the, the, the only thing that, that kind of groups all of them together is this, um, this Google spreadsheet that William Mugiar has around uh, that essentially lists all of them that anybody can edit, uh, that anybody can comment on. So it is to say that I think there's a lot of waste in this in this space here and that a lot of people now that we as a community are optimized not for dollars for self but rather optimized for outcomes for everybody we can start to think about minimizing waste in a more kind of uh, coordinating collaborating way so when I think about that I think about what we want from a value perspective and when you think about what we want from a value perspective there's one version which is and actually what we want exists on a gradient and so what we want exists on a gradient, and I want to let me define the two ends of the gradient, which is essentially what we don't want. And so on one end of the gradient, what we don't want is where you actually went out and you created value for the board. And you're like, oh my God, I created this awesome new ICO tracker thing. And you didn't actually get any money back for creating that value. That would be said. There's another version of reality where um, you, which is also bad, which is where you don't create any value for the world, where you're actively not, you're not, you didn't put any value out there, but you got value back. And you're like, well, I wasn't even part of, I didn't do any kind of ICO tracker thing, um, but I'm somehow like making a lot of money off of it. So those are kind of two bad ends of the spectrum of like, you know, you're outputting lots of value, getting no, no money back in, or you're outputting zero value, but getting lots of money back in. Neither of those make much sense, but there's kind of a better version of reality where you're kind of, you know, aware of, you know, creating value, but all and getting money, creating value, getting money back for it, but it's not hyper siloed. Um, and it's also not hyper uh, copyable and distributed. So I think about this also as, you know, that's from the want perspective, from the value for, for value perspective. Um, but I also think about it of like, what is the reality of the situation? Um, and those two ends of the spectrum didn't 
talk about the reality of the situation well, but neither does the current situation where it's all these direct value for value exchanges. Really, we're part of this more macro ecosystem, this more kind of co-evolution ecosystem and this kind of complementary ecosystem where when people do things in the ecosystem, it provides value to everybody in the ecosystem. So my favorite example of this is on this uh, concept of complements and the iPhone as a um, as, as an ecosystem and different apps being complements for other apps within that ecosystem. So when I created Angry Birds, that also um, that created more value for uh, essentially the whole ecosystem as a whole, which then made it the case that you know if I was creating a different app like a weather app, it was more likely that that weather app would be purchased because the, that person already had an iPhone as a result of Angry Birds. So essentially Angry Birds and the weather app, all apps are kind of complementary to each other. Um, I think that we should think about more ways to more accurately define that relationship, essentially complementary uh, economic relationships. So when I think about this, I think about essentially making a, uh, a kind of a coin, which is a kind of a shared outcome coin or a shared job to be done coin or a shared goal coin <laughs> or a shared metric coin. And so the way that this would work is you know, let's let's use some a specific example here, like the iPhone one. So you can imagine, uh, and this is already existing in various ways. So with the iPhone one, you can imagine a thing where I, as maker of Angry Birds, buy shares in Apple, and I, as or other person as the maker of the uh, weather app, also buy shares in Apple. And essentially, Apple is kind of the shared ecosystem coin where both of us are trying to make apps more of a thing. It's essentially Apple. The Apple stock is essentially a apps more of a thing coin. Um, and when more apps are making things, um, because I make Angry Birds, that increases the value of Apple. And because the person who makes the weather app, that also increases the value of Apple. And so um, being part of the ecosystem, we get value in return um, through the Apple shares, essentially. So that's kind of a, a, an existing example of this. There are, a lot, there are other existing examples of this, like uh, networks of consumption and creation, like the Let's Talk Bitcoin network, or you know Inside.com's newsletters, where they kind of you know bundle and uh, kind of create ecosystems that exist together, that then kind of increase the value and are complements with other parts of that ecosystem. I also think about something uh, like consensus here, and there's this great piece by Julian Moncato recently about the future of venture capitalists and. Um, you know, a big thing that they can do is, you know, for someone like Consensus, Consensus is able to spend lots of time and money on essentially just creating open source software because, and they don't get direct value back in exchange, but they create open source software that enables more people to build on top of Ethereum. And then because they own Ethereum that, you know, when the price of Ethereum increases as a result of their open source software, they get value back in return. So that's kind of a, you know, Ethereum is, is a kind of this shared coin that I'm talking about. But I'd like to think more about other kinds of shared coins, and specifically shared coins around outcomes, because that's what we're thinking a lot about these days, not just money for self, but outcomes for the world. And when you think about these outcomes, it, it, it reminds me a lot of the work that a lot of people on the social impact side are doing, where, you know, talking with uh, Raphael from Alice SI, part of the Blockchain for Social Impact Coalition, he's talking about, you know, for him, no, not only does he have to, you know, measure and track kind of classic dollar for dollar outcomes, um, but he also has to track, you know, other outcomes like, 
you know, what about the, you know, what was the quality of life that was increased for the homeless population that they served? Um, that kind of tracking, that outcome tracking is something that doesn't exist quite as much on the, uh, the kind of more traditional dollar side, but it's going to exist a lot more as we start to attach dollar amounts to specific outcomes. Um, and so when we think about these outcomes, you know, there's, there's not much infrastructure right now that exists around uh, aggressively tracking outcomes that is then tied back into the monetary system. Um, and so, you know, we have things like randomized control trials and things like A-B tests, which are the start of this, uh, but I think that we're going to see a lot more infrastructure built around this outcome space. Um, so thinking about this outcome space, let's use a given example to talk about how these coins could be created. So let's use the example from before round ICOs and the ICO aggregators. And let's say that they get together and they make a coin called the, you know, Great ICO Info Coin. So that ICO, Great ICO Info Coin is their goal. That's what they're all trying to do together. And you can imagine a couple different ways that they can create this, this token, this coin. So one way is essentially a curation market for outcomes. And uh, that's this from this recent blog post uh, called Social Impact Coins. And the idea is that, you know, you buy into the, you know, great ICO info coin at the beginning at a low price. And you also, if you're part of this, this ecosystem, you even inject more money into it. And you essentially give money to this social, uh, to, to the coin itself. And that coin has a smart contract associated with it called the motivator. And so that motivator, what it does is at the beginning, it, um, you know, if the, if the outcome increases, so let's say more and more people are really excited by the awesome ICO, great ICO content that they're getting, then um, as that metric increases, the motivator will buy back coins from the market. And when they buy back coins, it increases demand, which increases price. And so that's essentially saying, okay, you know, you got it at the, the beginning at, at a low dollar amount, and then you've done great work and you've increased um, the outcomes in this space. Nice work. Um, you can now sell your coins at a higher dollar amount because you've created good outcomes. So that's kind of one version of this, um, which is this motivator and this, this social impact coins, which is very connected to a lot of this kind of curation market continuous uh, token issuance space. Um, another version of this, which I also really like, that doesn't connect the doesn't connect outcomes to uh, the price of a token, but rather connects outcomes to the issuance of a token. So this one is one like SolarCoin, where when you create uh, when when you uh, create solar energy for the world. When you have a, a solar panel on your roof, you both get money um, for, let's say you sell it to someone or you, you are actively using it in your house or whatever, but you also get solar coin for it. And so you essentially get coins associated with a given outcome. And so with the something like the great ICO info coin, if you created something that then had a great outcome, you would get more coins uh, that were associated with that. So if you said oh man, I just created this new site or added this new, you know, uh, plugin that allowed us to kind of interoperate with all the ICO stuff, boom, then that, that gives you um, more coins essentially for, for doing good work in that space. So those are kind of two versions of uh, things that we can do to create these, uh, to create and kind of show the value that exists in the in-between area. And then the other thing I like to think about here is, well, what do we do with, is there a way to kind of, um, you know, we've talked about some of the individuals here, but what about the people who exist in the middle who are actually doing the actual, like, coordination? Um, 
and I like to think about for something with either with this coin amount is you can imagine someone like the motivator there being kind of like a nonprofit associated with it or sort of a similar thing with like solar coin where you know you can kind of either add a transaction tax to yourself kind of like resilience and crypto UBI stuff or kind of add a beneficiary to people that are operating the space kind of like a curation club um, and as you do that uh, you're essentially giving money to the ecosystem to the shared goal and when you give money to the shared goal then you can then imagine um, spending that money in a, in a DAO style way or maybe in a foundation style way where you say great we're going to spend this money on increasing the space generally and being here in the middle ground uh, in between this kind of co-evolution in between the collaboration and competition so I think that would be a pretty exciting thing to happen and I think that there is you know, there's there's examples of this already. Something like Pledge One Percent in the startup world is an example of this, where they are you essentially take um, self-imposed tax yourself and say one percent of our earnings and our equity will go towards back to the community and back to the good because they they were a big part of this. They they helped us here. Um, they were part of our employees' happiness. Blah blah blah. Let's give money back to the community. Um, and something like my Patreon and kind of the self-imposed income cap is another version of this, where I say, you know what, you know. Things that help me out, you know, I'm gonna I'll give money to give directly's UBI study because it's a great thing. It's a compliment for me because if they succeed, then I'll succeed more. Um, and I think they're doing great work and are part of this ecosystem. So these are ways that we in this space can essentially uh, create outcome coins. And when we think about these outcome, out, create the coins, and then uh, there's the coin creation side and the coin value side, and there's the kind of decision-making side and the foundation or DAO that's associated with this kind of coordinating, uh, coordinating all the, the, the players side. So given that, you know, we talked about some of the things that could exist in this space, uh, like the ICO aggregator, um, you know, BTC and ETH, uh, Bitcoin and, and Ether are essentially, I would relate them to essentially shared outcome coins for the crypto space generally. So if you buy in on those, you're essentially saying, you know what, I'm into the space generally. And if, you know, as Zuko said at the beginning, you know, if if Zcash increases their price or and does well, or if Tezos does, well, then the whole ecosystem is probably going to go up and, and Bitcoin might go up too. So um, they're kind of existing ones for the crypto space generally. You can imagine something like EOS and Tezos and uh, Ethereum getting together on kind of like a smart contract platform coin. Um, you can also imagine some things like a, a podcast coin where people are trying to get aligned over distributing awesome information to the world. They kind of get in on that coin together. So that's what I think about here. And I want to say one final thing on it before we kind of transition here, which is that the something I like about it is it by its nature, it, it starts to negate the creative destruction externalities and diminish the creative destruction externalities. And what I mean by that is if um, there are two people who have a shared job to be done, and let's say I'm a, a truck driver, and let's say this other person is a robot, a self-driving uh, truck, both of us have the same goal, which is taking the, um, the goods from one place and just putting them into another place. And if we both control some of this coin, well then, even if I'm a truck driver, and as the um, as the self-driving trucks start to take my job and do a really good job at driving the stuff from, you know, Phoenix to Denver or whatever, I am part of their success. That I am not just totally without a job, totally without meaning, whatever, but I kind of am part of, um, 
the more macro success around this goal that both myself and the robot kind of share in. So I think it's a good way to, um, for the big companies like Uber and Google or whatever, to essentially push coins into the shared job to be done and then allow the people who are part of that shared job to be done, that shared goal and the shared outcome to kind of take part in the success. Okay, so in this final section here, I want to talk about, uh, just give an example of some of the possibilities that could exist uh, if we start to incentivize this kind of coordination and collaboration piece more. And with the example that I want to give is not with the ICOs because I don't know quite as much about ICO aggregation, but I do know a lot about, or I know more about podcasting. And, you know, I think about essentially the, the kind of sad, pseudo sadness that exists in the world today, which is you have so many different kinds of communication that are happening. And I'm just going to use the blockchain space as an example. When you have people that are talking one-to-one, -one, you know, in secret, you have people that are talking one-to-one -one on a podcast, doing an interview. You have people who are doing, um, who are part of these like mastermind groups, like the proof of stake group with Vlad and, um, with Vlad and Vitalik and whoever, and they are, they kind of talk about proof of stake and then spread that to the world. You also have groups like, you know, people are doing a lot more remote talks. So I give kind of a crypto UBI remote talk to people around uh, various meetups. So you, you, you have that. You also have these new conferences. You have both the classic old style of conference, which is, you know, go to a given place and have a bunch of people talk. You also have this new style of conference, which is um, kind of this online conference, which is kind of similar to some of these like online remote talks and it's kind of similar to an online kind of remote interview, but it, it kind of has the conference as a whole is there. So this is to say that I think that there's a lot of spoken content that is happening in the blockchain crypto space. And I think that it is, there, there's room for coordination here and for collaboration here. And so what I think about is something where, you know, and, and we, we don't want to duplicate work and we don't want to, and we also want to be part of this shared movement where we're kind of as a whole creating an awesome new podcast or, you know, content network. So uh, what I think about is just an easy first example of this is if we were able to create something like a you know great crypto podcast coin, and when you create that coin, people start to uh, you know give money to that coin, and once that coin has money in it, we can then spend that on essentially collaborating the ecosystem through something like a you know I think about something like a kind of a stable matching algorithm for creators. Uh, for, for content creators and podcast interviewers and then projects that want to be interviewed. So uh, you have, you know, a bunch of people in the space who are interviewing all kinds of projects. It would be nice if there was a shared kind of Google Doc of all the people that wanted to do podcast interviews. Um, they're like, oh, I'd love to for you to be on my show. And on the other side, you had a bunch of people that were looking to be interviewed. So it's like, hey, I'm a new project in the space. I'd love to be interviewed. And then you can imagine running a Gail Shapley stable matching algorithm, which is one that they use in the, uh, for, to match hospitals and residences, um, uh, and doctor, like the new, new residents. And essentially doing that in this podcast space would allow kind of a market optimized version where you say, Hey, we as a podcast community are getting the best matches, um, you know, as judged by ourselves in our priority lists, uh, for the people in this space. And, and we were able to create this, to create the spreadsheet and to create new content um, and to kind of coordinate around this spreadsheet because we're all kind of incentivized by the shared furthering of the space. So that's just an example of some of the things that would be one example of a small thing that I'd be excited by as people get more into this kind of shared 
outcome space. Cool. So with that said, uh, to kind of wrap up here, we talked a little bit about blockchain culture and technology and how it's kind of a self-reinforcing loop and how we are less about um, centralization of things like money and more about decentralization, uh, which is very connected to income inequality and, you know, making the world a more equitable place. And as part of that also being this transition away from world of scarce capital, so we can actively kind of self-tax ourselves to give more money back to the system. And when we start to give more money back to the system, we can incentivize new ways to kind of consume information in a, in a way such that we kind of, as we go through the system, we scaffold others into the system. And um, on the creation side, where as we're moving in the system, we kind of have shared outcomes with people who are also working in the same space as us, and we can kind of collaborate and co-evolve and compete together in order to create this shared outcome. So that's something that I'm excited by. If you want to uh, learn more about me, you can go to patreon.com slash reeslandmark, that's slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. You can also support me there. Um, I'll also have an exciting announcement coming soon. And then finally, um, if you want to check out some of, I have a bunch of links uh, that are connected to these podcasts. So there's a big, uh, this one especially has a big scaffold around all the different uh, links that I use for this talk and um, ways that people can get into the space more easily. So with that, thank you so much for your time and hope you're doing well. Bye.